Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. This is the second week of our uh, Connect Wednesday night series, so I'm going to continue on Jonah tonight, um, chapters 3 and 4. We covered chapters 1 and 2 last week. Next week, for the next two Wednesdays, Pastor Merle, who's in the back right now, Pastor Merle will be doing the Bible teaching here, and then after him for a couple weeks, it'll be Pastor Abraham from India, and then on that seventh week, so it'll be six weeks of teaching, on that seventh week, which is April 27th, there's going to be a night of worship. And I'm not sure if that's going to be in the main worship center or in here yet. I'm not sure yet. So we're kind of working things out, doing things differently a little bit on Wednesdays just to see what, what works and what doesn't. But that's kind of the gist of, of what's going on for the next few weeks. So let's get started. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much for uh, this time together that, that all of us in this building can come here and be in your presence and seek you and grow. Uh, no matter what we're doing, what class we're in, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide all of us that are teaching and everybody that's within the classes. And uh, we pray, Lord, also that relationships will be built and uh, most of all that our relationship with you will be strengthened and uh, we will just fall more and more in love with you and your word, the Bible. So Lord, help me to do a good job teaching and help all of us to leave here changed and more in love with you. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, just to review a few things up, up front. Um, uh, we went through this a little bit last week, but um, first of all, this is, uh, it's not a sermon. It's going to be a Bible study. So I'm going to be um, reading chunks of Jonah, chunks of the verses, chapters, and then we're going to start digging deep into some of those verses and some of those words and, and pulling some of the meaning out. Um, we're not going to cover everything because there's too much in there, even though it's a small book, but it's God's word, so there's a lot of gold in there, but um, we're going to hit on a lot. Um, I'm using a Bible version called the ESV, the English Standard Version. I usually use, um, when I teach and when I'm at home reading, the NIV, which I like a lot, um, uh, New King James, King James, those are all different versions of the Bible, but for this, I'm using the ESV, um, which is more of a word-for-word -word translation, and so for me to do a Bible study and to understand what the original words meant when they were written in, in Hebrew or Greek, um, I use that. So that's, if you see that, or you're going to see um, when Josiah puts the verses up here, that's all in the ESV version. And, um, and then, uh, let's see, what else was I going to say? I think that's it. Let's dive right in. So let's do a quick review. Uh, this is the book of Jonah. A lot of people know or have heard of Jonah. Even if you are a, an atheist and hate Christians or hate the Bible, you've heard of Jonah, a guy who got thrown overboard and swallowed by, most people say a whale, but it's a great fish in most translations. So the book itself, it's only four chapters. It's very short. It's in um, the Old Testament. It's a little bit hard to find if you're not used to um, finding um, books in the Bible. But it's, it's all about the gospel. It's all about how God loves everybody so much that he's willing, he's willing to go out of his way to save even a people that were the most despised, hated people at that time in, in history, the Assyrians, whose capital was Nineveh. And as I talked about last week, um, the, the um, Nineveh is actually in a city called Mosul. We're going to see some pictures of it again in, the, in northern Iraq. It's about a million, a city of about a million people, and it's currently under the control of ISIS. And so last week we talked about it, how that would be like God asking one of you or me to leave, our, leave here and go to Nineveh or Mosul and preach to those ISIS fighters and tell them that what they're doing is wrong and if they don't repent, God's going to punish them. He's going to destroy them. 
okay? And you don't have to even, I don't have to describe too much more of that given what just happened uh, uh, yesterday in, in Brussels, right? What's happened in Paris, what's even happened in our own country. And, and yet, and yet the gospel says that even though all of us are sinners and deserving of punishment, God died, or Jesus died on the cross for all of us, and that's available for all people, even people like that, that if they turn to God, God still loves them, and if they turn to him, he will forgive them and have mercy upon them. And how hard that was, how hard that would be today for us to think of that in, uh, of those people that just you know murdered people in, in uh, Belgium. And yet God was asking Jonah, a prophet named Jonah, to leave Israel and to go to their enemies that had, um, that had killed a lot of Israelites, that, had, that enslaved them. They were the superpower. They were more powerful than ISIS is today because they were a superpower. They had armies. They weren't just small armies or individual or small teams of terrorists. This was a major world superpower at that time, and they were hated and despised, and yet God was calling Jonah to go there. And so when we look at this, look at this, uh, this book, we find out that Jonah was not thrilled at all, to say the least, about going and preaching. And at first, when I first was a, I talked about when I first was a new Christian at age 26 and reading the Bible for the first time, I was assuming he was not wanting to go because he was afraid for his life, as we would be if we were asked to go there now. But, and that was maybe a little bit of it, but really the point of Jonah is that he did not want to go because he knew he was afraid of, but he knew that God was a merciful, gracious, loving God, and if they repented, he would love them and show his love for them, and he couldn't stomach that. He couldn't forgive those people. He hated them so much. So this is all about the gospel, and, and I said that um, everything in the Bible, Old Testament points toward the cross, and everything in the New Testament points back. Everything from Genesis to Revelation is about the gospel. And, and about the cross and what Christ came to do. We don't always think about that when we look at the Old Testament, but everything is all about that. And on Friday, we, we're going to celebrate Good Friday and, and Christ dying for us on the cross and that he was risen when we celebrate Easter on, on Sunday. And so that's what the book of Jonah is about. So this man named Jonah, this prophet, heard from God and he was told to go to Nineveh. So Josiah, can you put that first map up? Again, we're go going through review. Okay, so this is, uh, here's Africa right here. Egypt is, is here. Israel is right here. And here's Iraq and Syria. So this is where all the war is going on now. And in northern Iraq, that river's the Tigris and Mosul and Nineveh is right on, the, um, on that river. Okay, so uh, could you do the next map? It's, it's a similar map, but this is, um, so this is Africa here again. And this is Israel. Nineveh's up here. Okay, this is Europe and France and Spain. So God spoke to the prophet um, Jonah and said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. So Jonah is here in Israel and he's supposed to go here. But the Bible tells us in Jonah 1, he goes down to Joppa, a seaport, which is now southern Tel Aviv, and he gets on a ship and he's going here to the coastline of Spain. All right, and, and the map has, you know, he's got a shorter route. He's supposed to go here, but he's going to go way out of his way to avoid God's call. So he's running from God. 
And so God comes and there's a storm and the sailors on the ship are, are afraid for their lives and they figure out after questioning Jonah that he's the problem. And so Jonah, they ask him, what, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to calm this storm? Because obviously God is coming after you and Jonah says, you need to throw me overboard. So they hurl him overboard into the ocean and the, and the storm stops. So for the sailors on the ship, he's, it's, it's over, right? And he's drowned, he's gone. So God saves him and in, in the, um, by a, a large fish that swallows him. And in the fish, he finally calls out and prays to God. It's like he finally wakes up. He's hit rock bottom and he's been saved. And then, the, and then Jonah chapter two says the fish vomited him. They use that word, vomited him out on the beach and to start again, basically. All right, we don't know if it's right back at Joppa uh, with God's sense of humor. Sometimes you see in the Bible, it could be. He goes, let's, let's start all over again. Okay, so now we pick that up at Jonah chapter three. So if you have it in your Bible, you can read along or we've got the verses right up here. So Jonah chapter three, verse one, I'm gonna read just chapter three, then we're gonna go through and pick it apart, then we'll read chapter four and pick that apart, okay? Jonah chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said would that he would do to them, and he did not do it. All right, that's chapter three. Let's go back up to the top again at, at um, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Okay, in the Bible, he's the only prophet in the Bible that had, had, was given a command twice because he obeyed it the first time and didn't do it. So now he's back up on the beach, back up somewhere in Israel, and God comes again and says, you know, the word of the Lord comes to him. Remember, he's a prophet, so God is going to speak to him as a prophet, and then he's going to go speak to a people, usually the Israelites. In this case, he's going to go speak to a foreign pagan enemy people, but God is, uh, but that's what a, a prophet is. He hears from God and then goes and speaks God's word. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise. Okay, remember in last week, that's what God spoke to him the first time, arise and go to Nineveh. But he didn't. He went down to Joppa, down to the ship, and so on. So, so in Jonah, you see this word in Hebrew, arise, meaning to, you know, go and do what I'm saying, but arise meaning um, you, I want you to become closer to me. Arise and do what I'm asking you to do, and you will have a, a relationship with me that I'm calling you to have, okay? So arise. And then um, remember the, the captain of the ship 
when the storm was raging, they were worried they were going to drown. The ship was, gonna, uh, um, was starting to break up. They were throwing stuff overboard. He goes down into the ship where Jonah was sleeping, and he says what? Arise, you sleeper. You know, get up on deck and start praying to your God. Maybe the God says will we'll save us. So God was using that man to say, arise. It means do what you're supposed to do. Get closer to God. Obey him. Listen to him. So, so now here in, in um, chapter 3, God's saying again, arise, right? Do what I'm asking you to do. I'm calling you to do this. Obey me so that, that our relationship can continue as I'm, as I'm going to equip you to go do a mission, okay? So arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it a message that I'm going to tell you, okay? So let's look at Nineveh again. So, like I said, Nineveh is, was a, a large city. Um, we find out in Jonah that at that time there were 120,000 people that lived in, um, in Nineveh. It had walls around it. They were canals. It was off the Tigris River, and then there was another river that ran from the Tigris through the middle of, of Nineveh, and there were a lot of canals. It was the cultural capital. It was a, um, an amazing city. Anything you read about um, uh, historically, it was like the, the New York, Washington, London, Paris of, that, of the biblical world at that time in Assyria, okay? So um, can you show some of those pictures, Josiah, that we got so this is a drawing of what um, some historians think part of that city looked like back then. Okay, so it was an amazing place. All right, next, next. So this is some of the walls that are there today. Again, ISIS has control of this area, so you can't visit now. So most of these were taken uh, probably about five or six years ago. Okay, next. This is from within the city walls, looking at um, you know, the, the side of the walls. There were 15 gates or entranceways to get into the, into the city. Next photo. And then here's within some of the archaeological digs within the city itself. Uh, next one. Okay, so what this is, I'll um, describe it a little bit. This, the whole picture is, this, is the city of Mosul. It's a Google, um, uh, Google Earth satellite photo. And this, if you can see this square here, that, those are the walls of Nineveh, and it comes down to here, if you can see that corner. So Nineveh, there's actually a neighbor, uh, large neighborhood, probably several thousand people that live inside those walls now, but the whole city was that kind of rectangular square where all those walls are. So this is the Tigris, that river flowed through it, so it was an amazing city. I mean, it's still, even if you visit it, I'd love to be able to go there to see it. But, so it's a real place. The reason I show this, a lot of photos sometimes when I teach, is I want everybody to know this is a real place that had real people. This is not made up. It's not myth. It's, it's real. You can go see it, touch it. These were people just like us, but they lived thousands of years ago. But they, you know, they went through the same things we did, okay? Um, and next, I'm not sure what the next one is. Okay. Okay, so here we go. So, so this is what it may have looked like. Um, this is Jonah right here, okay? So he pulls up to the city now, okay? So um, God said, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, call out against it. So he arose and went to Nineveh, all right? So he's looking out over the city. And um, God is saying, um, I want you to call out against it, okay? So I want you to, the word in Hebrew would be to proclaim. I've got a message that I want you to proclaim to them. But it's, it's a message that's not just you that's going to speak. We're going to talk about this a little bit uh, later and more in depth. It's not just you. It's I'm going to speak through you. So this is a proclamation that has power behind it. It's not just you, Jonah, that's going to go and start spouting off something you think that I want them to hear. Or as, you're gonna, or as we're going to see, he was like all full of fire and brimstone. And um, 
uh, and not, not full of grace at all, but it's a, it's a message, a proclamation that has God's authority behind it. So Jonah, you're not going by yourself. I'm going with you and I've equipped you. Um, in Second uh, Chronicles in the Old Testament, chapter 30, there's a, uh, a verse that says, so they decreed to make a proclamation through all Israel from Beersheba to Dan that the people should come and keep the Passover of the Lord, the God of Israel at Jerusalem, for they had not kept it as often as prescribed. So couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes as the king had commanded. So, so all these couriers or a herald was going out to all parts of Israel with the authority of the king to make this proclamation. So this is what Jonah was doing. He's going into the city with, with God's power behind him. All right? So he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. Call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose. So he did, did what he was supposed to do. He went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, as we've seen, three days journey in breadth. So what that's referring to, uh, most historians believe, was that it was going to take uh, a man, any man, but a man like Jonah, it's going to take him three days to do what God's called him to do, to go through all the city, all the neighborhoods, because obviously there's no, you know, obviously no internet or TV, let alone a megaphone or anything else. It's all by voice. He's walking, 120,000 people, big city. It's going to take three days to cover this whole thing. Okay, so that's what that's referring to. Um, but God was sending him because he loved this city. And remember, last week we talked about when you see um, words used over and over again, or you see uh, a type of like a repetition, or there's certain emphasis, God is emphasizing different points. And at the beginning of Jonah, in, in uh, the second verse, chapter 1, verse 2, there's a reference to Nineveh. In the last verse of Jonah is a reference to Nineveh, and in the middle there's references to Nineveh. So it's God's way of telling us that to him, this was a very important city that he loved and cared for. And so he doesn't want us to lose track of, the, of, of what the focus is. We're looking at Jonah, but God is looking at Nineveh, right? He wants to get their attention. Um, and, uh, and, and some, some um, even um, Jewish scholars um, believed that God wanted to get the attention of um, the Israelites at this time. And so that's why he wanted to go and proclaim a message to the Ninevites because if they, pagans, who were, were hated and hated God and had their own gods and did all kinds of other vile stuff, if they turned to God, then how, uh, in a sense, shaming, but maybe encouraging would it be to the people of God to wake up and say, you know what, maybe we have to quit living by the law and start loving God with our heart. Maybe we need to do the same thing that they're doing. Okay? So another word... Another word that's in here is the word apostolos, um, which means one sent by God. So Jonah is like an apostolos. It's a, it's a word that we, we get, where we get the word apostle, the apostle Paul. And Jesus himself was someone who is called one sent by God. So Jonah is being sent by God like a missionary, even though the word mission is not actually in the Bible. He's like a missionary. He's going sent by God to proclaim the good news. And it's like a foretaste of what's going to happen when the gospel goes forth. That the gospel is not just for the Israelites, not just for those people in that area of, of which Jonah is the leader, but it's for everybody. So it's like a foreshadowing of the, the, the people that were going to be um, messengers of God coming all over the world, not just in this one area. So Jonah arose and went. So we're still in verse 3. Jonah arose and went. Okay, that word went 
in the Hebrew in which it was written is really the word walk. So he arose and he walked to Nineveh. In chapter 1, it said, God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, but it said he went down to Joppa. That word went is not the word walk. It just said he went, somehow he traveled from there down to Joppa because the word walk in Hebrew, where it's used here, where he walked to Nineveh, meant not just walking physically, but it meant he was walking with God. You can almost pair that with arise. He's doing what God's called him to do. So now he's walking with God. We, some of us, we may even use that uh, term even today. So-and-so um, walks with God, or they've got a, a really strong walk with God. It means you're, you're not just loving God, but, but everything about you, you're not perfect, but you're trying to glorify God in everything that you do. You know, you, you want to be close to him. You want to be in his presence. So now finally, Jonah is walking with God. He's arising and doing what God has called him to do. Okay, not just physically, but even, even just in obeying now, he's walking with God. Now, if, uh, look at verse four. Uh, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. So, so it took supposedly three days to get around, but it took him a day's journey just to start proclaiming the message, okay? He began to go into the city, going a day's journey. This is at verse four. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, okay? So, so first of all, 40 days. That's a, that's a key term in the Bible. If you think about it, it's, it's all over the Bible. And 40 days, biblically, means, um, it means you're having um, an encounter, an experience with God, so, so Noah and his family and the animals were in the ark 40, right, 40 days. Um, in Exodus, the people of Israel were eating manna. The God was providing manna and food for them, manna and, and quail in the desert to, to provide for them for 40 days. So they had an experience with God and God's provision and love, 40 days. In Exodus 24, Moses went up on the mountain with God where he was going to receive the commandments, and he was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, having that experience with God. And then another example, there's, there's a lot of them, but in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was fasting 40 days and 40 nights, okay? And it says, and he was hungry. <laughs> so he was fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He was having a counter. He was, that was before God sent him, Father, God the Father sent him out on, um, to be the one sent on his mission. Okay, so 40 days means an encounter to God. So Jonah's coming in here and saying, in 40 days, you are going to have an encounter with God. And Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now for Jonah, he does not like what he's doing. And he wants, as we've seen and will see, he wants God to destroy these people. So his, his message here is not full of grace and love. It's fire and brimstone, hell and damnation. You people are the worst ever and God is going to destroy you. That's kind of what he was saying. All right, if you read between the lines, it's given us a little bit of what he may have said. Or if that's all he said, that's what he was saying. Okay? So yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now the word overthrown, though, has, has two meanings to it in the Hebrew. Um, two meanings. There's a good meaning and a bad meaning. And a bad meaning. Okay, so the bad means overthrown means there will be a cataclysmic event that's going to happen. And that's what Jonah was, was meaning. 40 days, in 40 days, this place is going to be destroyed. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah, the same word is used of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was, which was uh, destroyed um, earlier in the Old Testament. This place was going to be destroyed as well. Nineveh was going to be overthrown. 
okay? But in the good sense, overthrown means to turn one's heart toward like God. So overthrown also meant, although we, from the context, it's not what Jonah meant, but that word in Hebrew, in the good sense, means their hearts were gonna be overthrown. They, they had a decision to make, right? They could be destroyed, they could be overthrown and destroyed, or they could be, their hearts could be overthrown and turned toward God. Um, yeah, let me, let me, I'm gonna move on. So um, it's an upside down reversal, a change of heart, okay? Almost like you could say a turning, right? A turn, like repentance means to turn, make it do a, a 180. Um, so in, um, where am I at here? I'm getting lost. So Jonah's message was in 40 days, Nineveh, it could have been Nineveh will have a change of heart, but he did not want that to happen. He wanted to see the overthrowing, the destruction of that city. But this is what happened. The people of Nineveh, verse five, the people of Nineveh, they actually believed God. So most of this, this, uh, four, these four chapters, this book is pointing toward what's gonna happen. Are they, is, you know, what's gonna, Jonah gonna do and what's gonna happen? Well, Jonah was successful. Or rather, God using Jonah was successful because the people believed, the Ninevites believed. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So they truly turned their hearts toward him from the least, from the, from the, the least to the greatest. Because they're talking about, later, in, a, in a few minutes we're going to read, where it's the animals that even had to put on sackcloth and had to fast up to the king of Nineveh. Right, the the least, the least to the greatest. So everybody, it was total. Um, so they called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Um, can you show the last photo? I think it's the last photo of sackcloth. The, um, this is in the Bible quite a bit, and um, this actually is a picture of a of a, a man, probably a, a pilgrim, Catholic pilgrim. That's in the the middle of uh, Vatican Square in Rome, and um, when I've traveled before, sometimes you'll see people that will walk on their knees a very long distance and um, as, a, as a means of humbling themselves and penance. And, and sometimes, you know, that's a, a good thing. Their heart loves God. Sometimes it's working, uh, you know, trying to earn God's love, which may not be so good. But this, this man, so this is an actual photo. He's in the middle of there and on his knees, and he's wearing all of this almost like a burlap type of a, a cloth. So in the Bible, you, you see a lot of sackcloth. People put on sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes. And what it was was uh, basically like goat's hair that they fashioned into clothing that would really irritate. It was coarse and would irritate the skin as a way to make you really, really uncomfortable as a way to humble yourself before God. So if any of you, you know, fast, even just fasting, not eating, that makes you uncomfortable. It's not easy. It's your way of humbling yourself saying, I can't do this without you. Or today, sometimes people give up things um, uh, that they might really you know, like, maybe internet or cell phone for whatever, or just you're sacrificing something so that you're showing God, God, you come first, I need to rely on you, and I'm, I'm gonna put away some of these luxuries or whatever it is. You're trying to make yourself uncomfortable. So I was thinking, you know, back then, life was pretty miserable and hard anyway, so you had to dig deep to figure out what was, what was gonna be uncomfortable back then. And so one of those things was they put on the sackcloth and, and they wore this, and they would they'd have uh, you know, ashes from, from fires, burning ashes, and they would put it on their face and they would sit in it as a way of humbling themselves before, before God. So that's what happened. The people in Nineveh, they call for a fast, they all put on sackcloth from the greatest to the, to the least. 
Um, and that, that includes even the animals. Okay, so where am I at here? Verse 6. So the word, uh, this word of what the people were doing, so verse 6, reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne. All right, pagan king, there's the word arose. So he's, so we can um, look ahead and say he's going to make a good decision because he's obeying God. He's drawing closer to God. So the king arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. So even the mighty, powerful king of Nineveh believed God and humbled himself. And then he issued a proclamation or, or a law Right? And, and published it throughout Nineveh. I said, by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent uh, and turn from his fierce anger that we may not perish. So the interesting thing was the animals thrown in there. Because we're, you know, my family's animal lovers. And, um, and it's interesting because in the Bible, there's a lot of mention of, of how, uh, God, how much God loves animals. And in here, even the animals were not supposed to eat anything. And even they, probably the horses, livestock, had sackcloth put on them. Isn't that kind of crazy? But if you think about it, everybody was in the same boat together. Because if, if this was not a serious thing, and they didn't, they didn't know God, they didn't have a relationship with God, they believed enough to know it was serious and they needed to do something, they needed to humble themselves, but they really didn't know our God, right, Jonah's God, how gracious and merciful he was. So they, they did, we got to cover everybody, everything, because if God is not going, as if He's going to destroy us and overthrow us, it's going to be total. Everybody's going to die, not just the men and women, but the boys, the girls, the the babies, the the livestock, the dogs, the cat, everything is going to be destroyed. So they were dead serious about what they're doing. But the most important thing when you read this, though, is that they showed their their seriousness by their actions. So it wasn't just saying we believe, and it wasn't even just saying we need to fast and put on the sackcloth. But it says, the king told them, everyone needs to call out mightily to God. Everyone needs to turn from their evil way and the violence that is in their hands. You need to follow it up with actions. He was saying, it's not just our words. It's not just this fasting or doing these outward things that are, that are good, but we need to change our ways. We need to change our heart. We need to stop doing what we're doing. And that's a very important concept in the Bible where it's not just about words, it's about your actions. So this is, this is not a biblical phrase, but we all know it. Your words speak, your, your actions speak louder than words. Okay, it's not in the Bible, but it's very theologically correct. Your actions mean so much more than just your, your words. And so, um, you know, one of the things I've seen when I've met with people, whether it's counseling or pre-marriage type things, and you're talking to them about their, their faith, you run into a lot of people, especially nowadays, where... They say, you know, yes, I, I believe God. You know, I'm interviewing them, and, and, and they want me to do their wedding or something, and I'm asking them, you know, how, do you, you know, how often do you come to church? Because on the sheet you gave me, it says once a month, which usually I know that means it's maybe once every six months or something. So I'm asking them, and just, just want to know, because I was in their same shoes, and, and they just, they're not coming to church, they're not reading, they're not praying, they don't care. The one answer I got from someone is, well, I like to sleep in on Sunday morning, stuff like that. But they're saying, I love, but, I, but do you love God? Yes, I love God. But biblically, theologically, that means absolutely nothing because it's your actions that betray what's in your heart. 
That's the, that's the important thing. And God's not asking us to be perfect, but he wants us to love him, and you show that love through your actions. Okay, and so, so an example I'll usually use is if, um, if you have a, a couple in front of you, if your, uh, you know, if your, your boyfriend, your fiancé-to-be, if he is, ne- never says I love you, he never gets you, buys you flowers, he hangs out with his friends all the time, never calls you, but yet he says I love you, I love you, I love you a hundred times, do you believe him or do you not believe him? I mean, you shouldn't. Because his actions are saying something different than his words, and the actions is what you need to pay attention to. So it's the same thing theologically, biblically here, even in Jonah. I mean, we're talking, you know, I'm talking people that sit in front of my desk a few months ago, but this is 3,000 years ago, but it's the same thing. It's the same, same concept. It's, it's your, your words are important, but it's your actions that are more important. And you show your faith or you show your love, whether it's to someone that you care about, that you're sitting right next to now, or to God, by your actions. He's not looking for, perfect, for perfection, but he's looking for your heart, your, your love. Okay, and that's what was so astounding here is in these pagan Ninevites, they actually did that. Not just with their words, but with their, with their deeds. And they said, who knows, verse nine, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Okay, the king was all in. The people were all in. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, okay, it didn't say when God heard what they said, but when God saw what they did, how they were changing their ways, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do that. So he saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, and God relented of the disaster that he, that he uh, would do to them. So that word turned, they turned from their evil way. And then it said God relented of the disaster. Okay, in Hebrew, those are almost the same words. Um, some of you, if you have a King James Bible, it actually uses the word repent. So, which makes sense in one, in one place where it says, they, the Ninevites, they repented of their evil. But then in the King James, it uses, and God repented of the disaster that he, that he was gonna do to them. Which, when I first became a Christian, I had a, a King James, which was hard for me to read, but stuff like that, like, how can God repent of that? But the actual word does not mean God did something wrong and now he's got a, you know, he's asking for forgiveness. The, the actual word um, means to relent or to turn away and turn towards God. So what it really translates is, is when God saw what they did, how they turned away from their evil ways, how they turned away from that and toward him, then God turned away from the disaster that they deserved and turned his heart toward them in mercy and love and for forgiveness. Okay? And so... Um, you know, and the word, even the word repent means to do a 180. So our fourth, fifth, and sixth graders here at church, they use the room called the 180, and that comes from the word to repent. Repent means to do 180 degrees. You turn from what you used to do that was contrary to the, what God wanted you to do, and you walk toward God. You're doing a 180-degree turn. So these people, the Ninevites, were doing that with God. And so God did not need to, need to punish them because he did what he asked them to do all throughout scripture. It says, call on me, come and seek me, and, and I will come to you. I will, I will save you. I will forgive you. And that's what they did. So they relented and turned toward, um, toward him. And Jonah, though, was very, very angry that God had relented, that this happened. All right? So in, um, now we go to um, chapter 4, verse 1. 
I'm going to go through quick through here. Chapter 4, verse 1, not too many verses in, in chapter 4, but it says this. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Well, when you first called me, you know, when you called me the first time? That, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Did you get that? This guy did like a Billy Graham. He went to this, this huge city, and he, he wasn't killed or strung up, and he proclaimed this word, and he was successful. I mean, 120,000 people did, responded to his call, you know, responded to God. I mean, that's better than what Billy Graham does, and he's furious. He's exceedingly angry at what's just happened, right? Jonah felt let down. It's like he was saying, God, you are soft on sin. You, you are, there is no justice. These people deserve your wrath. They deserve to be punished, and you didn't punish them. And, and what, what was he saying? And I knew it all along. I knew that you were a God like that, right? But that's, that's awesome that we have a God like that, that, that he's, he, he's gracious, he's merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And that's, that's, that's a verse in the Old Testament that Jonah's actually pulling out and kind of tweaking a little bit. So he's actually quoting a scripture. And, and it's like, I, and I hate that about you, God. I'm even, he's even quoting scripture and saying, I hate that. I, I, don't, want, I don't want that to happen. So the, so the, the storm has been calmed Right, like, uh, like when he was on the ship, the storm was calmed and the sailors worshiped God, it says. They worshiped God. They, be, like they became, uh, they became uh, believers. And this, this storm was calmed over Nineveh and Jonah didn't call out to God, but he was angry at God. It's like he was shaking his fist at God. All right, um, and then he says, take my life from me. Remember on the ship, they said, just throw me overboard. He wanted to die. Three times in the book of Jonah, you find out he wanted to die. He would rather die than face the fact that God was going to forgive these people, that God was about forgiving everybody, that, that the gospel was open for everyone, that he was gracious and merciful and, and compassionate. All right? Um, look at uh, verse 1 again, 1 through 4. And I'm going to read it, but I'm going to emphasize some words, okay, to show you where Jonah's heart was. But it pleased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The whole focus of Jonah is on himself. These people, 120,000 people, probably another, who knows, 100,000 animals were spared that's, who knows, 250, 300,000 of God's creatures were spared, and he's looking at himself. That's a hard, hard heart. He's an example in here of how we are not supposed to be, right? Of what we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to be like. So let's continue on. 
So verse five, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. A booth is like um, a, a little shelter, okay, to, to sit underneath, Sukkot. There's a, there's a festival of booths. So um, that, that Jews to this day um, will celebrate that um, as a remembrance of how the Israelites lived in the desert back when Moses was leading them. They were out in the desert and they had, they, they had no shelter. They were in tents, so they, they have these booths. And so when I lived in, in um, Manhattan for five years on apartment buildings in the, uh, I think it was in the fall, I should have looked that up, um, you would see these, these crazy booths. I mean, these were like really nice apartments or behind uh, different um, you know, townhouses and brownstones. You would see these booths because they were celebrating the Feast of Booths. So, so Jonah made one of these. And can you put, a, um, Josiah, the photo of where Jonah is up on the hill uh, overlooking uh, Nineveh? And uh, yeah, right there. So, so this isn't the booth. This is something different we're going to find out in a minute. But this is, this is like what it may have looked like with Jonah. And out there in the distance is the city of Nineveh. And nothing's happened. So he's sitting there. So in verse 5, it says, um, Jonah, you can leave that up there and I'll just read this. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Right? He wanted to see this destruction. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, and that's what that is, a plant, so he appointed a plant. Right? God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. Now he's appointing, God is, is sovereign and powerful over all creation. He appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head and save him from his discomfort. So this, this man that's in total disobedience, heart, heart, God still cares for him. Right, that has hope. That's, that should give hope for you and I. Right, that that even when in our worst moments, or maybe even you're sitting here struggling, even now, God still cares about you, about your heart, about your your comfort. He loves you. He he loved Jonah. Okay, so now the Lord God made a plant and made it cover come up over Jonah. That might be a shade over him to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So he was exceedingly mad. Because he wanted these people destroyed. And now he's exceedingly glad because he's got a little old plant helping him to not be discomforted. All right, so you get the contrast here over, over himself and his own needs and his own concerns and his lack of concern for a huge city that just got saved, okay? So now in reading this, we'll pick this apart real quick, but in reading this, this is kind of like a, a little bit of a crazy story when I first read this with the plant and the shade and everything, but it makes sense in the end. Verse seven, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed, appointed again, same word in Hebrew, a worm that attacked the plant and so it withered, okay? And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching, appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and he asked that he might die. There it is again. So he's under, he's in discomfort. He probably is really hot, sunburn, but he wants to die, okay? It's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. That's serious anger. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. You did not make it grow, right? He did, God did, which came into being in a night and perished in a day. So it was, like, it was like nothing, just a little bit of comfort. You pity that plant. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city? And the word pity in both places in the Hebrew, that word pity means to weep or to, where is that word? 
to have tears in one's eyes. So, God, so, so the Bible's telling us, God is saying, you had tears in your eyes. You are crying and weeping for this plant. And, and you're angry. Should not I, pity, have tears in my eyes for Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? They don't even know what they're doing. They, they barely even know who I am. And yet I still love them and care for them and also their cattle. Right? That's where it ends. I, I, I have tears in my eyes for them. And if you think about it, there's, can you show the next uh, f- uh, picture um, of uh, it's Jesus up on a hill? Right? Jesus is overlooking Jerusalem. And in Luke 19, it, this is called Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. So when you see this, if, if, you, if you've been reading the Bible for any length of time, it might, you might notice that this reminds you of something of Jesus standing on a hill overlooking Jerusalem. And in Luke 19, it says, when he had drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus wept over that city, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that might make for peace. This was right before he was going to be executed on the cross and die for our sins. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear, down, tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. So Jonah is, is looking over Nineveh, a people who should not know any better, and they knew better, and they called on God. Jesus is overlooking Jerusalem, a city full of people who should have known better, and they did not call on God. That's a, con- that's a, a, um, a significant contrast in how we as people are supposed to be. Whether we know a little bit of the Bible or a lot, we need to have our heart turned toward God. Whether we're brand new Christians, which like I, like I told you, when I was 26, I became a Christian, so I really remember that time, and I, I knew very little, but I just had a love for God, whether you're that way or you've been serving God for 50 years. God wants our heart turned toward him, and he will use us to minister and do so many amazing things. He used Jonah, after all. This guy that was an outright disobedience, he still used him, and, and 120,000 people were saved. What can he do through you and I? As imperfect as we are, as imperfect as you may think you are sitting here, I can't do it, I'm too nervous, I'm too scared, I don't know enough about the Bible. No, if you have a love for God and you have a sincerity in in your faith, God will use you. And God wants to use you in the place that he's calling you to. He, He didn't call Jonah to the whole world, he called him to a big city, but it was one assignment And what is maybe one assignment that you have that God's calling you to reach out to, a person maybe, or your place of of work, or maybe your family members? I mean, what is God calling you to do? I, I want to challenge you this weekend as we, as we look toward Good Friday and as we look, toward, we look toward Easter the next few days, really think about that. I mean, read through Jonah and, and see yourself in, in this, in, in good ways and bad ways. Like, challenge yourself. Am I like this? In a good way in that if this guy was used by God, I can be used by God. Right? The Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and he was responsible for the murder of the first Christian martyr. And yet God still forgave him, he saved him, turned his heart and life upside down, and used him. If God can use people like Jonah and Paul and others, he can use and will use us. And remember, like we talked about, 
if I can find my, I skipped over it. Um, um, it's not us. It's God using us. It's his words that are being proclaimed to us. Where is that? Where is that, those verses? It's God uses us. He uses his servants to go and proclaim the message. I can't find it. I'm sorry. Where is that? Hang with me a second. I cannot find it. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going then. But God uses, uses people like us all throughout history to reach out to people, to pray for them, to minister to them, and using the gifts that he's gifted you. Because you can touch people that some of us can't touch, that Pastor Dwayne can't touch, that he doesn't know, that he can't meet with, but God is going to use you. And this is how we want to end. I want to pray for you, but I want to challenge you with this. And it has to do with forgiveness. Because Jonah, at root, he could not forgive those people, the Ninevites, for what they had done. And he hated them so much that he was enslaved to that forgiveness. And this is, this is the really interesting question. Jonah could have asked himself, maybe, maybe he did, but even reading through this, you ask himself, well, if God is going to forgive the people like the Ninevites, if he forgives them, then what good is it to be even called the, the God's chosen people? I mean, what, I mean th- if you think about it, Jonah could be even asking that question. What good is it, God, for you to have us as your chosen people? And you're forgiving people left and right, and they're awful. But what that shows is he doesn't understand God's heart. Because the Israelites are God's chosen people. They were given the law to follow, but that's what they started following. Not all the time in the Old Testament. Sometimes their heart was turned toward him, but often, like in Jonah's case, it was all about the law, following the law. We follow the law, God loves us. We work hard, and we do this, and we follow the Ten Commandments and all the other laws, and then we can have a relationship with God. And those people that don't follow the law, they don't do those things, then they deserve to be punished. But that's not God's heart. God says to them, I give you the law, right, to, to help you, but that you don't follow that thinking that that's how you have a relationship with me. You love me with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when you love me and do the things that, that show you love me, then you're going to keep the law. You can, you can keep the law and not love God. But if you love God, you will keep the law. That's what God was looking for. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't stomach that. He couldn't forgive those people because it changed his whole mindset. So what my challenge is right now is, is there somebody in your life, probably not everybody, but most people here, there's somebody that, you know what, I, I, it, um, I need to forgive them. It's painful, it's hard, but I don't wanna be like Jonah that gets enslaved by that unforgiveness that I become disobedient and it starts ruining and wrecking my world and flipping my worldview upside down. We need to learn the lesson how not to be like Jonah in that. I've got uh, two friends just recently, just this week, that, that both, actually at the same time, had their own, um, their own stories of how they had people in their workplace. One was a very good friend that betrayed them and raked them under the coals, and another one was, was um, uh, they fired um, a friend of mine, and it just mean, nasty, everything, and my one friend was having um, you know, nightmares at night for a couple, uh, couple of years and just could not come to forgive him, but both of them in the past couple of weeks, actually on their own, not talking to each other, they forgave those people in their lives that, um, uh, that legitimately had done some really nasty stuff to them. And it freed them. 
It was hard. It was painful. It would have been hard and painful for Jonah to see this, but it's, but it's freeing, right? It's like Jonah, what God would have wanted Jonah, I think, to do is on his walk, right? He's walking and trying to glorify God, is he would have understood Jonah saying things like, God, I, I don't want to do this. This is everything in my, my soul, my body is against going to these people and, and, and trying to help them, but I want to do what you want me to do, so help me. Right, help me to get there as he's walking. I mean, I don't know how many, probably a few weeks he had to wrestle with God, talk to God. God understands that. In the New Testament, there's a verse in the Bible where a dad comes up to Jesus and said, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. It's like Jonah saying, I know I need to do this. I know that you're, you're merciful and gracious, but it's so hard, but help me have victory in this. And I would say my challenge is to you is, to, is the same thing, is wrestle with God, seek that victory, enable him to empower you to do that which is painful but which brings freedom to you and to your heart so God can open up all kinds of doors for what he wants you to do. I mean, that's my challenge to you. And I'm sure there's almost, not everybody, but almost everybody here, there's someone or maybe a few people that you're saying, you know what, that's me. I need to ask for forgiveness. So let me, let me pray for, for everyone here. Let me pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would minister to every single heart that's here. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the lessons we can learn, the good and bad lessons to take away from, from Jonah of what, what to do and what not to do. And, and, but Father, I pray, Lord, that in these difficult issues of, of forgiveness and people that have hurt us, legitimately, they have done some evil things to us, but you call us to forgive them and love them and even to pray for them that, that you would bless them because you are gracious and merciful and you are good and the gospel is for everybody, not just me, not just ourselves. But Lord, I pray for those that find this so painfully difficult that you would give them the victory, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that, that your power would set them free to do that which you're calling them to do that they would arise and do what you're calling them to do, that they would walk with you and that you would do some amazing things in their lives and in their hearts, Lord. So Father, as we look forward to Good Friday, to, to where we celebrate your death on the cross for us, it was good for us, and then the fact that you were risen and you are alive, help us, Lord, to do what you're calling us to do, to take up our crosses and follow you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.